0: Welcome to The Naked Podcaster. I'm your host, Jen Taylor. A huge shout out and thank you to NGBN TV for sponsoring this video podcast. Today we're hearing from MJ Preston. He discusses what it was like growing up with a dad who was a bank robber, knowing his dad tried to murder his mom, going to school under an assumed name, marrying his love, and becoming a long haul truck driver, including on the world's largest ice road, where he wrote some of his best selling books in his mind. Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. I'm super excited today. I have MJ Preston on MJ. How are you?
1: I'm doing good. How are you?
0: Good. Where in the world are you located?
1: I live in Alberta, Canada. So uh, just above Montana.
0: Right. Love it. I've been through that. So everything will be in the show notes, but your website is mjpreston.net. So your name.net pretty easy. Let's jump in and really talk about this website as well as you are also on wildbluepress.com, and that will also be in the show notes, and that has a really great bio about you. So jump in and tell us all things MJ.
1: Okay, well, I'm MJ Preston, uh, that's thats my, uh, I, I guess you would say, not pseudonym, but that that's my pen name as I go by. I'm a writer, and, and I write in a couple of different genres. I write in horror, sci-fi, and thriller, and uh, I've been writing for a lot of years, uh, but in 2012, I've uh, I published my first novel, and now I'm up to my fourth. So that's who M J Preston is. I mean, uh, I'm a Canadian. Uh, I love to write. I'm an amateur photographer. I take lots of pictures, and a little bit of an adventure too.
0: Yeah, I think your life has been an adventure, but we'll get into that. <laughs> so you have three genres. Can you go into each one of those and I mean, I know through your past and through your story, we're going to learn why you chose these genres. Are they kind of related in your mind?
1: Well, I think all for me they are. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Um, uh, it, horror touches science fiction, right? And yeah. And and horror definitely can touch uh, crime thriller. So yeah, yeah I think they okay. all can. They all can interact. Maybe science fiction can, unless. Steven Spielberg was involved or something. I don't know, right. but, but anyway, so that's, yeah, they, they all work for me. I'm probably not the guy that's going to write the great American novel, uh, you know, mice and man or anything like that. <laughs> I, 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 lo- I love literature, but I, I liked getting down and dirty in the stuff that I do.
0: I, I actually, I really kind of like that. That's very awesome. You have really incredible reviews and reviews are a hard thing to come by. But you were on LA talk radio, um, San Francisco review of books. You've gotten some really amazing feedback and I have yet to re- read one of your books. So, um, I find it really fascinating that you've gotten great feedback, um, about these and tell me a little bit about that. Cause your first book you said was 2012.
1: Yeah, um, I I mean, I I wrote before that, but as far as uh, publishing a novel, yes, I published it in 2012. Um, Well, I was lucky enough is, see, look, back in the day, and I'm one of those guys that used to to type on a typewriter instead Uh, of a computer. So, you know, back in the day, you you know, you had to work your butt off to try and not give them this basically flawless manuscript, send it. And then it ends up in a big slush pile and you don't have an agent and nobody wants to touch you. Blah, blah, blah. We live in a little bit better world with the electronic age now. And I think it's opened things up an awful lot. But when I finished my first manuscript, uh, I still, I I struggled very hard to try and publish it, you know, uh, not independently, but send it to an actual publisher and, and, you know, got rejections. They say, you know, you gotta have an agent, man. I said, oh, okay. Then you try and get an agent, it's like, "Well, who are you? <laughs> so anyways, I published that first book independently and it it ended up, I said, what the heck, I'll throw it in the Amazon Breakthrough Awards. And it made it to semi-finalists and it was a horror novel and it caught me some notoriety. And uh, so, you know, that that's where I kind of started down this road and I didn't think I'd publish another novel. And then all of a sudden I went on an adventure up in the North and it said hey man this is a great place to write a novel about so i wrote my second novel and then from that point i started something completely different which was a crime thriller and i decided you know i somebody recommended Wild blue press to me and i thought well i'm gonna go old school i'll just submit it to them took a little while but they came back and they said you know what we love that book we want the next book and we want to take your two independent books we want to roll them into our docket as well so it was like Wow!
0: <laughs> wow! So
1: the weird thing is, is that because this is over the course of about five years, but all of a sudden there's this resurgence for all of these four books. So when people say to me, "What book are you pumping?" Well, I'm pumping all four because they all just came out with Wall Press, and they've gone on to venues and onto platforms they haven't been before.
0: Absolutely, and I think a lot of people start out trying to get a publisher, and then end up self-publishing.
1: And you did the opposite. Yeah. Well, I wanted to, uh, because I found out the struggles of being an independent author, Oh yeah. Uh, you know, you flip the bill for everything. Right. And, and, yeah, and yeah. it's not so much the bill end of it, but you don't have anybody to back you up on the promotion. You got to get out, you know, I mean, now I have a publicist and, and, and I'm with a great uh, pub, publisher, but you know, when I was out there on my own, it was doing everything. You're out there beating the bushes and you're begging, you know, come on, please read my book. Give me an honest review. And it's, it's a tough gig, you know, but yep. you have to love it to, to do it because sometimes it's, uh, you know, it, it can be punishment due to you. Like it's a lot of hard work for yeah. sure.
0: Well, yes. So I think, and there's a difference and I, I definitely want to get into this with you it can be now or later in the podcast but i'm a writer i've published one book i'm working on a second book i've done lots of blogs and articles and all kinds of stuff there's a point in time where that shifts gear and you become an author which in my that's a career so you made that shift somewhere along the way where you went from writing to having this be your career and that's a tough. I think that's tough to do. So kudos to you for being able to do that. Because, like you said, you're out there pounding pavement and begging for reviews are the hardest thing to get.
1: But here, but here's the thing about that is that I, I still, um, I, I still subsidize my income uh, mm-hmm. because it's a, it's an uphill battle with writing. I mean, it, yeah. this is the, this is the thing. I think a lot of writers don't or young, young aspiring writers, they all want to write that big Stephen King novel. I mean, I know I did when I was a young guy, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, but the reality of it is most writers, uh, you know, they have to have a second job, but you know what, they're doing what they love. And that's that's the main thing. And I think I, I'll quote Stephen King. He said, if you're doing it for the money, you're a monkey, because it's, the hard, it's a hard, hard, uh, you know, vocation to be in for lack of a better word at the moment, (laughs) but, you know, and, and, but, but you have to love it. And the thing is, the joy it brings me the creation storytelling, you know, and then having people come back to you and and tell you, Hey, I really love, you know, really dug that. That was very cool. That that's the fulfillment right there. And for me, like I say, it's, it's not, it's not about celebrity. I mean, it's nice to make a couple of bucks. Don't get me wrong, but it's about plugging into that receptacle, that's why you sit there and you write on there is because you want to get it to that reader and if you did that you accomplished your mission and if they enjoyed it bonus i mean that's that's why you did it you know the other stuff comes along with it that's great too but that's 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 the focus for me anyways
0: i have a theory that when you're working a job and also living a passion like you are as an author yeah That job is the vehicle that allows you to live your passion without having the stress of an income coming directly from it. And I think sometimes when we put all of that pressure on that one dream, it's not nearly as fun anymore. But for me, if I can just work a job or do something or freelance over here and not be super emotionally connected, then I get to live the things that I'm passionate about and just love them.
1: Well, and and that's that's the thing. I mean, with me, uh, I spent twelve years in the, in the military. Then I became a, a long haul truck driver. Then I ended up going on to uh, going into the north, the ice roads and stuff like that. But how I wrote is every time that truck stopped, laptop comes out, goes on top of steering wheel, tap 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 tap, you know, and. But that's, but you have to love that to do it. And, and I yeah. do love it. I mean, the thing is, is when I go into one of these things, I get lost in the story and it's cool. Cause I'm the first guy on the scene of the crime, right? Hey, look at what we can do, you know, you know, so that, that's a lot of fun. And it, it's, and, and like I say, if you, it's a journey going all the way through it and some of yeah. it's tough, you know, as you know, you've written a book yeah. and and it's, it, but that's, that's why you keep going. Now compile that onto the fact I was driving or doing 16 hour days. And then I'd stop and do that, you know, and work for two hours on it. And then on the weekends, when the guys out, you know, boozing or whatever, I'm, I'm buying the laptop working. So is, but that's how much I love this craft. I've always been an artistic person and that, you know, that's the thing that's given me levity throughout my life. So anyhow,
0: (laughs) I was going to ask you about it because I knew that you were a truck driver. And I was, I didn't know if you did, because you can do uh voice memos and talk to text right. on your phone. And I thought, wow, if you could really hook into a decent system where you could, like, I write myself emails through via text, sure. you know, via talking. And, um, that's how I remember stuff. And so you didn't do it that way though.
1: No, I can't, I can't write like that. That's uh, I can't okay. do that process. Um, I tried it. And the other thing, my problem is, is and I always get beat up by a friend of mine when I say this, but I'm mealy-mouthed, right? I'll start saying, I would start saying something, and then the computer get all screwed up, and it, I'm already bad enough that I got to go up back and edit the heck out of everything. So what I was doing, I tried voice to text. I mean, I was, and it works for some people very well, by the way, but wow. it just doesn't work for me. There's something about taking my fingers and touching them to the keyboard, all right, and 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 then I just I you know, I just go into this zone and I just start going and that's it. So I, any other way doesn't quite work.
0: I, well, I love that everybody has their own process. And so we just gave people several tips where no, you do all your thinking, and then you have to sit down and type. Um, if I want to really, really, really remember something and it's important, I physically, like, I have sticky notes and notepads and journals all over the place because there's something to, to me, about the physical writing out of things on a piece of paper. And yeah. you just said, like, you touch your fingers to the keyboard, and there it is. And then also the ability to do talk to text or an interview style to write your book. And like, there's no wrong way.
1: No. Oh, no, so, no, no. Absolutely, absolutely not. Like so that's say, great. Yeah. So, I mean, some people outline, some people write by the seat of their pants. Or me, I write by the seat of my pants.
0: I outline. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you I know, love I, it. I, and I've just, you know, I've just started a series of two books. And I am when I got into the second book, I was going, you know, I really should do an outline, but I can't, I can't do outlines because what happens is I find it stifles the creativity. It's just okay. like, let's go start writing. You know, it doesn't matter what kind of a disaster debris trail you're no. leaving behind you. Cause you're going to be circling back and cleaning it up anyways. Right. Yeah. So yep. That, that's what works for me. And, uh, it, but it's, it's funny. And then, you know, some like. But I will confess, I have a I have a research assistant out of Florida okay. who's okay. helped me with two of my books, and I've had to go back to her, and because one of the books is about a serial killer, and I'm scratching my head, and I'm going, Patty, how many guys did we did he kill? <laughs> and yeah. she would have like a kill list for me, right? Because that's and otherwise I'd be going back, to, you know, page forty two, page three through six, yep. whatever, trying to trying to add this up, babe. Eh? So anyhow but that that was my next question
0: yeah how do you keep track of the stories because honestly you'd think you do intimately know your stories yeah but you you also have three different genres you're writing and each one of those is a series and honestly it is totally normal to get lost in your own story and not recollect facts and i asked someone else and she did an Excel spreadsheet. And I'd want to kill myself if I had to do that. Like that is not my process, but for her, she had each book in the series and like the kill list, the details on it. So yeah. it's really easy for her to go back. Cause you, you have to constantly do that as a writer moving forward. So, yeah. well yeah.
1: actually I will, I will, I will just correct you there. Uh, on, only the, the one, uh, the crime thrillers, the series, the other two okay. are standalone novels. However, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's like I said, I, you know, my problem is if, If I turn the camera around right now, you looked at my desk. It's a disaster area, okay? And and the reason it's a disaster area because I don't know why, but that's the way I operate. But there's some kind of sense that comes out of all that chaos. I mean, I'm not saying that I, you know, somebody's gonna say he's gonna be on hoarders. (laughs) I'm not (laughs) like that. But but my track, it's 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 a it's a messy zone. But I'm comfortable with that because I'll take a book. You know, look, I got a book sitting here. I'll just reach over, just grab it quickly. And then I'll reference something, and I'll go. Oh, okay. Over that goes there, and that's it. Sorry, a little bit of reverb there, but that's kind of my writing too. I mean, I write linear, um, but I, like I said, I just I just go at this weird rate, and I and then I go back, and I mean, and I'll go back and go. Oh, that doesn't make sense. Does <laughs> this? You know, but I mean, but you somehow in the end, it all works out.
0: So maybe my saying that you have three genres and they're all series was a premonition. <laughs> I'm just I'm <laughs> man, I'm manifesting. I don't know. Let's take a look back in time at life. You're in Canada, you said in Alberta. So yeah. you were you were born there. That's where you've born and raised.
1: No, I was born. I was born in a place called uh, well outside Montreal, Quebec. You know where Montreal?
0: Oh yeah, is. I do. I'm from Vermont. Yeah. So oh
1: okay. Oh yeah, there yeah. you go. I've been yeah. to Vermont. It's beautiful. Yeah,
0: I've been in Montreal. Anyway.
1: <laughs> well i hope you had a montreal smoked meat sandwich because you can't beat those
0: i didn't
1: oh you got to have one when you go back
0: okay all that's, right that's your okay. staple
1: that's okay their staple. anyhow yeah so i was born in i was born in montreal uh my uh mom and dad were married at the time and i had two older brothers uh and anyways early on and i was very young i was only three at the time but two of my brothers went down to the saint Lawrence river and the ice broke, and, and one was swept away. Oh. And so that was a, there was a pretty devastating thing on our family. I was young enough that I, I didn't, uh, I wasn't affected or I, I adapted better. My older brother had a very tough time with it. Of course my mother had a tough time with it, but right around that time too. Now, and this is, I don't think I've never said this publicly, but, uh, my father was a bank robber and he was on the lamb from the cops. So he couldn't make it to the funeral. Because the cops had the funeral staked out and uh, anyway so that took it took a heavy toll especially uh, so much more my brother than and my mo- i mean my mother and of course my father as well even so i mean even though he was into what he was into he uh you know he still loved his kids right. somewhat Anyways, <laughs> uh so we uh my We kind of lived a really fluid life for the first few years of my life. Uh, At one point, my brother and I were going to school under an assumed name because my father was on the lam from the cops. Uh, at another point when my brother, my grandfather passed away, my brother went up to stay with my grandmother. So I was down alone with my mom and my dad and they said, "Hey, Hey, we're going to Boston for a holiday. Well, yeah, we went to Boston for a holiday, but it was because he was on the lamb from the cops. Right. So we hung out in the hotel. We didn't know any better. So he had, um, he had a real rough streak in him and, uh, eventually the marriage came apart. He played around a lot, stuff like that. And, uh, so my mom and dad shipped us off, up to Montreal, cause we were actually living in, in Hamilton, Ontario at the time. And we stayed with an aunt and uncle for a year. And that was a transformation of sorts because, you know, when you look back on things like that, you don't think, "Hey, you know, I'm not dysfunctional, right? But when you look back on it, you yeah. think it's dysfunctional when you look back from an adult's eyes. But at that time, that was the norm. That's what was going on. So my mom, uh, she, she met another guy and he was a decent man. And uh, she was getting ready to go to British Columbia to the other end of the place to get away from my father because he was a pretty rough guy, like I say, and they ended up in a bar and my father came in with a gun and he took them out at gunpoint he was going to murder them. Uh, but there was a huge police takedown at that time. They rolled into the, into an intersection and I guess, and that's what he was doing. He was taking them out to execute them. And, uh, so they, they rolled in and they arrested my father and he went away. And so, and then my mother went with the, the man she met was a decent guy out there. And eventually they brought us back out to British Columbia and I got to grow up in British Columbia, which was fantastic. A nice how, place. And
0: how old were you when the whole bar scene happened?
1: Uh, I was in, I was in kindergarten at
0: that Do you moment. remember? So I, it,
1: oh yes. I knew what was going on. Like, I mean, we weren't, well, wait a minute. I'll just, I'll back the truck up.
0: Sure. We
1: didn't know that what happened with my mother, uh, my father and my, who would eventually be my stepfather. We didn't know what they never told us about that. Cause we were young that happened while we were up at our grandmothers okay. or sorry, up, upstate with my aunt. They didn't tell us till later. Like when we got a little bit older. Um, so, uh, but. My father, uh, and he's dead now, by the
0: way. Okay. Uh,
1: he, he he wandered in and out a few times. I think what with him, what probably I think the only thing I could hold him in contempt for is that he didn't go to his kids' funeral uh, because he was on the lam from the cops. Because I don't care, I I crawl over broken glass, yeah. you know, do whatever for my kids. So, but he uh, he he ended up coming out to British Columbia once and just coincidentally the royal bank of canada got robbed when he happened to be in town and we're pretty sure that he did it and uh and like i say but he came from a very abusive uh uh or and dysfunctional family as well and when i looked back on that that's kind of where i made a connect and i and i came to terms with it that it like i spent a long a lot of time angry at him and i did reacquaint with him when he got older my mom forgave him You know, and they, they, they actually over all of that, I mean, he went to jail too. So, and, but the thing was, is he had this bitter streak in him and, uh, he eventually passed away, but I was able to come to terms with it because I got to look at a little bit of the history and I know that his father abandoned all their kids, right but before he did that, he, and, and I got this from relatives, they abused him and the, the father and beat him and, and stuff like that. And he was in reform school from 12. So he was kind of made to be what he is. And uh, thankfully the, my mother got us away from that atmosphere. So we didn't become the, in the next cycle. Uh, but yeah, we had tough times, but I never looked at him that way, you know, because when you get to a certain point in your life, you can either, you know, be in a sorrow over this, mm-hmm. or you can do something with it. And where I look at it is that I'm a writer and that's what I was put on this earth to do. And part of being a writer is being a voyeur and watching, but also you look inward. And I look at all of those things and I wouldn't be the person that I am. I know that sounds cliche if I hadn't have gone through all that shit back in those days. And my brother, you know, even with all the bad things that happened, the, the good things that happened along the way is that is the fact that my pr- one brother passed away or, or died, drowned. My other older brother was my protector, my whole life, you mm. know, and I have a good memory from that, from a Halloween scene, we're coming up to Halloween. I'll throw this out. I got mugged by a couple of boys that were much bigger than me and my brother. And, uh, you know, they pushed me down took my bag off. They went and my brother came down, gave me his bag, said, wait here. And he took off and he came back with the bag. And uh, so I guess he convinced them <laughs> to hand the bag over. And after he did that, uh, the next day, they came to me at school and they apologized. So, you know, he's he's been my hero through uh, my whole life. And so there, there there's good, really good things that we did. And, and I had lots of adventures and you know what, that molded me as the person I am now. So
0: what at what age or at what point you knew like the (laughs) when i read your when i read your uh little bullet points you know i was like my dad was a bank robber and i was like wow wow i mean it sounds like a movie you know like my dad was at what age did you realize that and like was it talked about at all is that where money came from
1: well no i mean i didn't i don't think i had a concept of the the money end of it but i mean I watched tv every week so I didn't know what a bank rubber was and I knew you know right and 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 it came up I mean my my brother probably filtered it to me first right Mm -hmm. and uh and I don't think I really talked to my mom about it but you know once once the cat was out of the bag you know you start to see things and understand things and you know, I mean, my father used to go meet people down on docks with us kids. You know, like it is like something out of a gangster movie, exactly. Eh? When I look back on it now and I laugh, right? Because I like, think, what, what were we doing down there, right? Eh? Or, you know, um, but I, I didn't get exposed to anything that, like, you know, I didn't see anything terrible that would cause post traumatic stress disorder or anything like that. It was just a weird, dysfunctional way to be brought up. Yeah. And, And I just, I never, the one thing I never did is I never dragged it as an anchor behind me. I just, I didn't. And I think that's probably just because of how I made up, but I'm not saying that it didn't affect other people in my life It affected my mom her whole life until the day she died, she mourned for, for our brother. And uh, certainly it's affected my brother, even, even to this day, because he was there when it happened. Uh, but, but I think it made us all the more tighter in in the end too is that you know like that uh, my brother i don't you know miss a week without getting down calling him seeing how he's doing and the same thing and uh you know we have a boy's night out once in a while well when the bars open up eventually you know where we go out and blow some steam off not like a couple old idiots because that's what we look like now right so but it's but it's you know i I just, I've always had that perspective. Maybe I'm like Forrest Gump with the little feather behind me and I'm just bouncing through life happily. (laughs) I don't know. So, but also, I mean, I draw from many, many of my experiences and that's where I focus it into my writing too. So,
0: Mom moved across Canada, remarried with your stepdad. And you said he was a decent guy. So was that a good relationship? Your dad was gone. He was in prison for, for 10 years.
1: Well, he got 10 years. He got out in six, Okay. Um, he, uh, so, and, and he kind of did his own thing there for a long time. He didn't, you know, uh, and, and my stepfather was a really decent guy. And, and, and I have to say that he played a a big hand in, in raising us, uh, but the relationship was doomed from the beginning because my mother had still not put her life in order and it it, it, it in the end it sabotaged their relationship and, and the two of them split and he went off and, and married somebody else so you know but i mean i i have to credit him for the, you know he stuck it in and and you know we we grew up we didn't grow up with much money we were poor yeah you know so uh and they did what they could and he was i mean there he was a uh, a logger and he you know he worked all or he worked you know and then the, he was home in the in the i remember being in the winter time and we didn't have a lot of money because he'd have to go on ei because they get logged uh, you know they get laid off for the winter and he was watching saturday Night live one night i guess so this is the first time he saw saturday night live where they had the you know the stamping machine where you put the prices on it but it was a commercial saying oh yeah we're going to show you how to lower prices a grocery store and he thought it was a real commercial because he was from the czech Republic or like he was from Czechoslovakia, right <laughs> so we, th- there were desperate times, like for food, it was pretty crazy. You know, yeah. I remember my mom saying to me one day when she came home, she said, we had to eat shit to get this food. Yeah. <laughs> and, I said, well, and I said, "Mom, what kind of shit did she have to eat? And she started laughing. Eh? But I mean, it, there were, there were tough times and then, you know, and, uh, but they did the best they could. We had Christmases every year. Uh, you know, my father, uh, he, he wasn't there and I didn't reconnect with him until I was an adult. And even then, he was still a very broken person. And I've just kind of put it in its place that that you know he, that's the way he ended up. I just tried never to duplicate it with my own children or grandchildren.
0: I love that from a really young age you were realizing somehow that not to drag that as an anchor behind you, using your words, which I think are really fantastic, that you know you saw all of the positive in what was happening even though it was really tough and you didn't want to drag that anchor through your life. Well,
1: yeah. And there, I mean, there, there, I mean, I'm not saying that I came through unscathed cause I didn't, um, you know, right. I had my own trials and tribulations, but for the most part, it, I guess it just, it, it's like, I'd rather be happy than unhappy and it's not shutting it out but there's some stuff in there that you can look back on and, and really laugh at. I, I do remember saying to my father, you know, cause he said, I'm losing my hearing. I said, Oh, maybe you should go after the bank robbers union there and see if their pension guys will get you some hearing aids, you know, and he actually thought it was funny. Right. So I I mean, but, uh, that, I have a black sense of humor too. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I write in, in the genres that I do and, it may be even a little bit of, of the kind of life that we lived when we were young mm-hmm. and to, 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 go into those genres, because, uh, you know, I can I always dug the monsters, Frankenstein's monster, you know, the, the, the outsider, the outcast. Eh? The yeah. the one nickname I used to have as a kid, and I just cringed the other day, cause I think somebody slapped it, slapped it on the president. And I just not, I, I don't want to get political, but, my uh my parents used to call me nowhere man and it was because i used to always just stare off and daydream because i was thinking about stories right and i used to and the other thing i did I, I didn't mention when i was a kid is i used to carry around a binder and i always wrote stories in it always had you know these rudimentary drawings of the things lots of plagiarism you know yeah but yeah. It, yeah, but i mean it, it that's what it where it was always there and, and a lot of my friends couldn't understand why I didn't want to go out and kick a soccer ball around the field, because, uh, you know, this is what I was digging to do. They thought it was okay. Like my friends, my friends were pretty good with it, but they were still, they couldn't what, you know, we sit in school all day long and you want to sit there and draw pictures and and write stories. And, you know, when we could be over there playing football or doing something else. Right. So, but, but that's, I just dug it. It was, and it's an escape too. You know, it's just like reading a book. you forget the world around you and you go into that world.
0: I feel like a lot of us that grew up in really tough situations, if we had a love of reading or writing, that was a big escape and other people got into sports and that was a big escape. I mean, there are lots of things that you can love and enjoy and also are an escape from your reality. And definitely reading and writing is a fantastic escape. And you now you grew up, and um you wanted to get a degree in writing
1: yeah i want well i wanted i want, actually my initial thought was i want to be a uh, i want to be a foreign correspondent i want to be a journalist
0: uh-huh. So I wanted to I wanted to
1: go off maybe do uh you know be a war correspondent. I wanted to learn and and in the back of my mind I'm thinking this is how you do it man. This is you're going to become a writer if you can turn around and be, go be a war correspondent and get a good gig. But the problem is, is I just didn't have the dough. And I was I was back in college and and I met this young lady and she was just beautiful. I mean she was gorgeous. She had blue eyes, blonde hair. But... <laughs> And yeah, I'm looking well, across you know. the room, and and I'm and I'm I'm like, yeah, she's so out of my league, but but I took a shot, and while we're together today. We, we had you know we have three kids, uh, but we were young parents, uh, you know, and and so I was working for four bucks an hour in a car wash when I was you know 19 years old, and trying to go to school at the same time, and it's like just it was, it was impossible. So. I had to look and we, and then we had a kid and, 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 you know, so we have a kid and I'm making, you know, nothing for money. And I said, you know what, I got to have some kind of basis of a career. So I ended up joining the Canadian military mm-hmm. and, so, and still thinking in my mind, yes, I can go back to school, or, but also I can, you know, uh, I can write maybe in the military, let's do something with that. And I can build on that. And I did, I ended up being doing a lot of writing in the military, but I was a combat soldier. I never saw uh combat. I, I trained for it the whole time, but I never did. For me, it's the soda is just getting me here. Right. <laughs> um, any, any, anyhow, um, but that's where I started. That first novel was being, you know, I be down in the basement clacking away on an old Olivetti typewriter and, and I bought the manuscript probably about Half done something like that, and it had it in a three-ring binder. I put it in a box and I ended up shelving it for twelve years. Wow. And, and, and yeah, but the thing was, is just life got in the way. Here comes a baby. Here comes another baby. Here comes another baby. Soldiers don't make a lot of money. But, yeah. you know here here i'm gone nine months of the year on exercises and you know uh and and doing all sorts of stuff or courses and you know and, and i was moving trying you know trying to move up the ranks in the military as well and i got a, I made it to master corporal which is a junior nco and i loved my job I, you know and i almost focused where i said i think i can be a soldier and be happy without the writing although i still kept writing i was writing reportage and stuff like that, but I didn't have to be Stephen King or, right. Cl- or Tom Clancy or like that. And that was working great. And then I got to the, uh, my 12th year. And after my third leg operation, they said, see ya, you got to go. You can't do this anymore.
0: What happened with your leg?
1: Well, I have, I have a, a thing called compartment syndromes in the legs. It happens to athletes and soldiers. It's just because we, you know, you put the, You put the muscle on on your lower leg through such punishment. And I end up getting these hernias in my leg. And what that is caused by is a thing called compartment syndrome. And just the pressure in the muscle builds up and it breaks the outer outer fascia. So every time I got one of these, I went and got an operation. And then finally, when it happened, like I I had three operations over the course of 12 years. And when I went back the last time, the orthopedic surgeon said, you know what? You got to find another job. This is it. He says, "If we keep operating, you're going to be in a wheelchair. That's all there is to it. You're going to be so debilitated because of scar tissue. So that ended my career in the military. And again, we went my my wife and me and my kids. We went through a, a tough bout. I got out. I ended up suffering deep, deep depression because uh, I lost all my identity all of a sudden. So uh, I went through about a year and and." Uh, Anyways, I found my way out and certainly my rock of Gibraltar were my wife and my kids. They stood by me through thick and thin, no matter how crummy I was. And I was crummy at times, you know? I mean, it, you know, you snap at the kids or like that, but it was, uh, I had to reinvent myself yet again and figure out what to do. And that's how I ended up going to truck driving. And that, you know, that was just like I say, and, and so when I look back on that now, i don't look back on it with any amount and there was some dark times in there too but i don't look back on that in in any way that is negative because that's just another stepping stone to where i am now and i'm a pretty serene guy now so uh but at at any rate we spent a year uh uh, trying to figure out what the heck i was going to do i went through depression i managed to get a handle on that I ended up going out on the road trucking and it only rekindled my relationship with my wife, which wasn't in like, it wasn't in dire straits, but it brought that romance back. And you know, I was like, Oh, you know, we realized we love each other again, get rid of the kids. When I come home, that sort of deal. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So, so that was good. And along the way, like I say, I got, I trucked all over the United States down to Florida and, you know, Texas and everywhere. I've been, and that's why I said Vermont. I've been through Vermont many times. I used to run all of the Eastern seaboard and, uh, anyway, so, and that's somehow I, along the way, I, I still trucking and that's when I stumbled on that manuscript I told you about that I put away. And I thought, well, I should really try and finish this. And boom, that's what I did. And so that's how I got here, really. Um, and as I said along the way, I'm a little bit of an adventure. Well, I went up and I ran the ice roads in the in the north. Yeah, I wanted was... you to
0: talk about that. And also, there's something cathartic. I mean, first of all, you pulled the book out of the box after twelve years and found it. There had to did you did you get it digital? Did you go to a computer from your? Oh, I had yeah yeah I mean,
1: no like... no I I had a computer at that point and and yeah so I had to, that was that was a tough one because I had to transcribe yeah. everything right. But here's the deal when I wrote, wrote the first draft of that, and that would be back in the eighties or late eighties, there were no cell phones. No and computers were like, well, maybe we were past Vic 20 or whatever, but, but they were like Mac the Macintosh was just starting out. There was no windows 95 or nothing like that. So I had to update the whole story too, because it was like, holy cow. How are these guys communicating they can't go to a payphone in today's day and age right like this so so yeah that and now so that was a lot of labor but you know what it i had no idea where that story would go and then once i got rolling on it once i got past the transcribing part uh it just took off and the funny thing about that is i have a good friend and his name's uh jim Steele, but his pen name is r james Steele, and he's a historical writer and he was my mentor and I asked him, I said, listen, I'm thinking about starting this novel. Could I send you a chapter and you look at it? And he said, yeah. So about three weeks go by, I've rewritten this chapter 19, 20 times. Cause I'm scared of what he's going to say. And I sent it to him and he, you know, he sends it back and, and I can say something explicitly on here. So I'm going to, he, I said to him, I said, geez, I said, uh, he said, that's great. I loved it. He says, uh, he says, you know, we clean up the grammar later. And I, he said, "Why did it take you so long to get it to me?" And I said, "Because I was shitting my pants." Like that you're gonna <laughs> tell me that you go home, you're a fraud, you know, you're. You know. And he said, "Mark, just write the fucking thing." And that was it. And and that has been my motto ever since: is just write the thing, get it done. And he's the one that set me down that road. So that's where we got to. That's where we got to Equinox, and and you know that I started on that after I wrote Equinox i was getting ready to hang up my truck and skate so i was like i have gotta have a home job i gotta because i want to focus on this writing thing promoting this new book that i just got out and a friend of mine called me and he said hey why don't you go and run the ice roads and that way you and he said that's where you'll cap off your career right i said oh okay i guess i could try that right so i got on an airplane and flew to alberta got in there in a great big company called ventures west it was a fantastic company great people and we were driving super b tankers which is two tankers attached to the back of a rick so we went up there and went up there. everybody talks about this ice road if you've seen the show and i was not on the show i was in a documentary which is on tubi a little brief flash of us um, but everybody thinks the ice is the most terrifying thing because it's the cracking and the popping and it does that when you're driving up it but the most terrifying thing is the road or was it's much improved now but when i got there in 2012 it was a road called the ingram trail and it's a winding twisting icy gravelly road that goes up and down and you're almost clicking mirrors with the opposing truck that's how close you are yeah and so and it's it's about 30 miles of this road and we go up there and i'm driving and, and i'm just you know but. I'm not trying to want to look scared. This is my friend, right? But I'm following him and he's, he's taken me, he taught me up the road. And when we got up to the top, I peeled my fingers off the steering wheel, you know, and the anxiety of this road. And he's, he came out, and he was so excited because we'd been, this guy had been friends with him for a long time. And he said, how was it? I said, well, I didn't get killed, but it scared the shit out of me. And he said, well, get ready. Cause we've got 20 more of them to do. <laughs> so we did them. And it took me a long time to get, you know, it took me about probably 10 trips up that road before I finally got to understand how everything worked. Cause you, what you're doing is you're pulling this, all this weight in these two trailers up this icy grade, you get on the other side and all of a sudden those two trailers are pushing you down that icy grade. And at the bottom, there's a hard right hand turn. And you think you're gonna, you know, if you don't, you don't get it under control, you could lose it. And not only that, but you have opposing trucks coming the other way very close everybody's talking on the radio calling uh markers and stuff like that but what that did is i got up there and that that was my kickoff to my second novel and the reason being is it is the most beautiful place
0: mm-hmm.
1: on the face of the earth the i mean and you've been to alaska so you know the aurora borealis and yeah. and and there's just something that is just so majestic about all that frozen <laughs> you know and and the animals and, and i got i mean to i've driven a truck and had a pack of wolves running beside my truck, like literally running right beside the truck till they decide to get off. Uh, you know, I'll be driving down the, like on the ice road there, you're driving along, you feel like somebody's watching you look out the window and all of a sudden there's a bird like this yeah. a he's ra- raving and he's looking at you like, I want some of your lunch. <laughs> so, I mean, it just, it was just inspiring and I, I got to take lots of photography up there and it just, that set me on fire to write a second book. And I went back for two more seasons and did it again. I almost want to go back up just for the heck of it because of what I did. But you know, I, I met guys up there that became brothers and they're brothers for life and, and some of them were became very, very close because of it. And it just, I, and we got, we went up there, uh, we got trapped at the mine for five days because a category three storm came in and wiped out the entire ice road. So. You know, they had to come back. They had to come 300 kilometers to take us out, make a new road. So it was just such an adventure. It was so much fun. It sometimes it just scared the crap out of you. But at other times it was just, I mean, just wonderful. You had so much fun.
0: In my 10 years of living in Alaska, I have to say it is the, my favorite place that I have ever lived, the most beautiful and most incredible people. And also the hardest place I have ever lived. And it's interesting when you're in that climate, you know, that it can be the best, most amazing and the most difficult at the same time. And unless you've really experienced that, that kind of doesn't make sense. And to be in 49 below or that's the coldest I was in. I was in 49 below and that was my coldest. Um, But it is the most breathtaking, silent like you said, the crackling and I know what you mean. I didn't drive the ice road, but just being in that environment and hearing that, it's a different sound. People are afraid of wolves and I'm like, oh no, you know when they're running alongside of you that like that's a good day. That it's, you know, it's not necessarily scary. That's not the scary part of it that wolves are alongside of you. That's, you feel like it's the most empowering, powerful, Feeling so in tune with nature, terrifying experience ever.
1: Oh no, absolutely! It's so I get it. It's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, I mean that. I think that's probably the greatest adventure I ever went on. And the first year was the best year because everything was shiny and new, you know. Mm. And I had my fear, and but I mean, uh, when I went up there, and I just got a new my my son and my wife bought me a like a Canon Rebel T three, so. I just got a brand new camera and I, and, I, and I don't know crap about taking pictures, but I made it my aim that I was going to photograph everything up there. I took 10,000 pictures. I mean, I've got thousands of pictures of, you know, and, and, and I started taking night photography, but I'll tell you a real cool story is there's another book it's called on good ice that they wrote uh, a guy wrote talking about the ice road. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, a year before I'm up there, I'm taking pictures and I was up on a portage between one of the big lakes there. And so i took my night photography and i'm taking all my equipment down i got in the truck which i was bobtailing, which means i didn't have a trailer i was going up to retrieve a trailer from the mine and didn't think anything of it you know i took those pictures home a year later that book that on good ice book comes out and i open up the centerfold and there i am i'm the centerfold in the book and i'm like i didn't take this picture but i took my own pictures and i started comparing like the aurora and everything behind me it was and i've found out another trucker his name is julian birchall he's a probably 10 times a photographer i am he took the picture and he sold it to the book but he said to me i said when did you take that picture he says i was hiding behind a snowbank waiting for you to get in your truck and get out of there right wow And he said as soon as you got in your truck and closed that door he said the light was still on that's when i clicked it so yeah and then it ended up in a book so that was was pretty cool and it's quite a, quite a majestic picture it's basically just a lone truck on a barren portage, and then behind it, the by bialis is going across the sky. And it was, you know, so I just, it, like, I met so many interesting people. Like he was, this guy's a, he's a Brit, uh, there are just people from Newfoundland, from Nova Scotia, mm-hmm. you know, from, from down the United States, people that all congregate here. And they're the weirdest, most ragtag-looking bunch you ever saw in your life. Mm -hmm. but boy oh boy are they fun to hang out with and 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 you know it's a closed track so conversations go on and guys are you know ribbing each other and all sorts of things so it's yeah it's i i just never i think i love the north i'd love to go back up there on my own terms where i wasn't saddled to a truck and i think i probably will someday and just go up there and shoot everything that i can with my with my camera because i've just never had so much fun
0: it's super lonely and I think you know the saying a community raise a child when you're in those environments you get really really very close to like you said like this ragtag group of people that you would never throw together that yeah. become best friends because you really are in it to support each other. It's very lonely and um, I can't even imagine because the ice road trucking is much more than what I experienced but I understand that community. It's the best people I've ever met. And they're like, they are ragtag. It's a ragtag group, that's for sure. So I love that. And then what else do you do? You're on there listening to the crackling, popping in the most beautiful place, one of the most beautiful places in the world, and you're writing a book in your head.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's what I was doing. And, and the, what the cool thing was is that we, see, we went up there with Equinox, Right. And that was my first book, the Equinox and, and, and he said, bring some books, man, we'll sell them on the road. (laughs) And that's what, so we were rolling up there. And, and that's when I'd put the first book into the, the Amazon breakthrough awards. And so I was watching its progress as the days are going on. But yeah, but my buddy's a master salesman and he's, oh yeah, buy a book. Hey, don't be a creep Buy this guy's book, you know, but he was out there pitching the story because he'd read the book. And I was kind of being timid about it but He sold every book I had, but I like I said, and then we started talking. We said, You know, this, I, I said, Brad, this is a place that you could do a diamond heist from, right? Because that's what they are, they're diamond mines up there, three diamond yeah. mines. And I said, This place looks like a diamond heist. And he says, Yeah, well, but he says, You know, the security, because high security in these places. I said, mm-hmm. Well, then we got to already steal the diamonds and have them picked up. I said, But you know what? We need something else. And he said, What's that? I said, We need an alien invasion. (laughs) Obviously. So, so yeah. So, we morphed this together. And I'm telling you, it's a giant book, but it was so much fun to write. And I I published it independently. But before Wild Blue took it on, I handed it over to a screenwriter from uh, Star Trek Voyager. His name is Gregory L. Norris. And I traded books with him. We were at a con. And he got back to me and he said, Oh, my God, I absolutely love this book. And that was cool because. I was scared crapless that, oh God, this is a sci fi guy, he writes for Star Trek, you know, he's gonna tear me to pieces. But he said so he gave me a little bit of a kick up too. And, and and then of course I meet this another person, extremely talented person, who is now a friend in my life. And like I say, this so this is the positivity that comes on when you when you do this sort of thing, you get to meet so many talented people and you know it and it's it's a real cool community, the writing community. So Oh yeah so anyway so that's that's what we did we yapped about the ice while we were on the ice and and i came up and then I, as soon as i got back to civilization i got down to work and started writing and within about a year it took about a year and the next ice road acadia event was published and then i started working on my latest stuff or while well, i was kind of screwing around with it but uh that's another story altogether. uh
0: And then you went into your third book. Was that did Highway Man did that happen also while you were ice trucking? Did that story spring? Actually, what
1: what happened with that was is that see, my fourth I'll just give you the the four books so so people know. The Equinox Acadia event was the second one, the science fiction one, Mm -hmm. and then it was Highway Man, and then four, which is the sequel to Highway Man, and the first in a series. The Four, which is my fourth book by complete coincidence was actually started at the same time as a Katie event Oh, and a Katie event won out because of the ice road and, and I had all this stuff and you know, I was like, oh no, I got to do this. So I did that. And then I was going to pick up on four again. And I was talking to a friend of mine, Philip Perry. He says, you should write a throwaway for that. I said, well, what's the throwaway? He said, well, he said, you know, you just write a little novella and you give it away, but you use it to prop up your book. I said, that's a brilliant idea. It wasn't a brilliant idea. I started writing that and it was a little novella called Highwayman and yeah. it became a novel. And, and and because I actually wrote it as a novella and after I looked back and I said, it just doesn't work, it's, there's not enough information in there. So yeah. I ended up turning that into a novel. So four got shelved again a second time around and, and got pushed to be my fourth novel, which was, by coincidence and it was called Four right, four right from the beginning so uh, and, and it led me to this series so that that was kind of cool too but yeah it's um i'm sorry i lost my point there just
0: no, no it's good i was asking you if highwayman you were writing that while you were ice trucking but you were actually writing for an acadia event at the yeah. same time and yeah. then Highwayman was like a, well, yeah. just a, a prequel. It was supposed to be the novella and it turned into something, which is yeah. great. And I, that happens.
1: Yeah, and, that, and so that's the rabbit hole. I went down and then all of a sudden, so so Highwayman got accepted by Wall Blue Press. And so I was over the moon about that. I was very happy because like I said, they their lineup of writers is amazing. And uh, after that got accepted and, and then we went through, we're going through the editing process and we're just about ready to kick it off but they also, we also did the equinox. So we we're going to kick off the equinox and Highwayman at the same time. So they could kind of, you know, play off each other. And Steve Jackson, the one of one of the partners in the company just says, to me says, so when's four going to be done? <laughs> and I got like three chapters written and I'm like, oh my God, you know, like uh, I don't even know how it's going to end. And he's going, he's, I'm, so I put myself on this self-imposed deadline and I said, I'm going to bring it in at three months. And, it took me four and Steve Jackson said to me, he said, no, he says, just write me another good book. That's all I want you to do. He says, don't, don't do that to yourself. But I did anyways. And, uh, and it, it was cool because the two, the, the funny thing about those two books is, is the first books a slow burn, you know, it takes place over a period of time. You, you get to know the characters really well. Uh, the second book is just a kick-ass right from the beginning to the end it's, it takes so takes place over the course of two weeks. How so the first book takes place over eight years. And wow. that's basically how I wrote it. It was like, I was up at because, because I had a day job or I have a day job. I was up at five o'clock in the morning working until like, you know, six, sometimes getting up at four and then I'd come home and then I'd work on it because I, I really wanted to bring it in. And because the other thing was, is the editor book left finishes on a cliffhanger so people are expecting this other book so i'm you know and i didn't even have a smick how i was gonna end it i'm like oh my god oh my god they're gonna find out i'm a fraud you know like but at the end of the day you know we got through it and it, it but that's that was the most anxiety riddled book that i've ever written because it I always had that in the back of my head and really, to be honest with you, I'm the one that did it to me because I didn't have to Steve, right. they, you know, they, they told me you just, just write the book. It's, it's not, I mean, I'm not going to be allowed five years to write the book, but you know, they, I told him, I said, I'll get up every day. And uh, he said, yeah, just relax, MJ. He said, you know, just give us another good book. That's all we want. Right. So anyway, so here we are.
0: <laughs> you, I'm guessing you used a lot of what happened to you as a kid too in your books, in your writing?
1: Well, I, I draw I, I don't chronicle anything that happened Mm -hmm. to me as a kid. Um, certainly I draw from some of the emotions that I, that are involved in that. Um, a good example would be, I would say one of the hardest pieces I ever wrote was in the Equinox where a mother and father are, um, they're, they're mourning over a murdered child and they're of course battling with each other. And that was a tough one to to write because, of course, it stirs memories and and how my own family was affected and all that. But I think that if you look at all of my work, yes, there's little pieces of me in there. And people that know me are going to know it that, 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 you know, oh, look, he's, you know, drawing from that. And that's what I say that I'm somewhat of a voyeur. I watch and I process and I'll put something in the back of the filing cabinet and maybe use it later. so yeah um i don't i i did i did i joke with my, my my wife that i'm going to write a book someday i'm going to call it scars my grandmother left me but there's too many people alive to write <laughs> but but that's i mean basically uh, i will i i believe i will write a memoir one day but it will be f- historical for my children got it uh you know i, I unless somebody says, you know what, we can give you movie rights and Netflix and blah, blah, blah. Maybe then I'll just sell out. I don't know, but quite honestly, no, I don't think so. I, I probably will write that, uh, kind of stuff, but it'll be memoir.
0: I know you have your fifth book in process, no, no pressure, not pressuring you, <laughs> oh God, but oh you God. know, you, you wrote to me, you're 55 years old. You have your fifth book in process. Uh, you're an author and then you know that you'll just keep going as it happens so that's a really exciting place to be considering it sat in a box the first one sat in a box for 12 years so I'm really hoping that gives people a lot of um, hope in their own writing process because it's not like an instant thing every single time you just pick it up and in two months you're you know Stephen King because it doesn't happen that way no. i want to end with you have horror sci-fi and thriller you have three genres four books if yeah. someone had to buy one well obviously you have two of them are standalone yeah. although i did already say they were series so i i mean yeah. i'm thinking i'm manifesting that now so <laughs> um where where would you start so like i i know one of your horror reviews was like if you want to be kept up at night that's not me i'm not that person i highwayman yeah. would probably scare the piss out of me I'm guessing. Well,
1: it depends. Like, it it really does fall on what, what you dig, okay? If you don't okay. dig horror, then you. You well, I, I would say Highwayman. I think often gets you know the horror thing put on it because of the serial killer aspect, but it's a crime thriller. So okay, but but the question is, you know, how susceptible are you? If you want a good standalone book, I would say read The Equinox, even though it is a horror novel. There's a lot of native mysticism in it and, and stuff like that. And it's just a cool monster story. So you understand the monster, but it's, it's a fun, fun story. So I would say, read the equinox it's, is the book I wrote that gets the most love every time somebody reads it to come back and, and, and for some reason, and, and I don't want to sound misogynistic, but women seem to love it more than men do and maybe because they fell fall in love with Daniel Blackbird who's the um the protagonist he's a good looking young guy but he goes through hell um but i don't know but it's it does get the most love and and uh although if you're into crime thrillers or anything you don't pick your genre here i am right
0: yeah here you are right four books just buy them all basically that's what yeah, i'm hearing sure. just get them all one that's of these <laughs> MJ thank you so much for being on your story was really remarkable you're my first my dad was a bank robber interview so there's that (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for sharing with us
1: oh no problem listen it's been a treat i had a lot of fun i really did this was this was a lot of fun
0: Thank you for joining today. It's been a pleasure. You can find me at momof18.com and on social media platforms as momof18. A huge thank you to NGBN TV for sponsoring this podcast episode. And on social media platforms as Mom of Eighteen. A huge thank you to NGBN TV for sponsoring this podcast episode. Com.